that like all businesses, when you flick the switch and turn them on, they don't all work. This is 2007. For truck drivers, the average age in the middle 50s, not many of them are really going to be jumping on board with this new piece of technology called an iPhone. So when we flick the switch, it didn't work. That week I find myself sitting next to a different drummer from a different band and we're having the normal <laughs> chit chat. I said, well, the week's been okay, I launched a business, it doesn't work. And he just said, Phil, have you thought about this? I went home, I rang up my web developer, the other drummer. I said, Dave, what do you think about this? And he said, I'll program it up tonight. And load shift started gaining traction. Instantly, all these truck drivers who were sitting in the cabins of their trucks, and they've all got their Nokia 5810 or whatever it is, <laughs> or whatever it was, they then started getting job leads just popping up on their phones. And it just instantly transformed what was going on overnight. Welcome to Getting to the Heart of Business, brought to you by The Online Co, where we believe the best way to help small and medium businesses grow is by putting people first. I'm James Parnwell, and today we're catching up with a mover and shaker named Phil Callaghan. In the mid-2000s, Phil disrupted the trucking industry of Australia with his innovative tech startup, a company called Loadshift. Over the past 15 years, Loadshift has effectively changed the way truckers and shippers communicate through what is now a very high-tech online marketplace. My co-host and marketing pro is Jess Caluso. G'day, Jess. Hey, James. So there's been a lot of disruption over the last 20-odd years. The oh, there internet has. has disrupted all sorts of industries. I'm thinking Google destroyed yellow pages. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking the cryptocurrencies and the finance industry. Right. Uh, let's go with Amazon changed booksellers for good. Yeah, and e-commerce and retail. Yeah, eBay and, and eBay, retail. Yeah. Yeah. Uber wrecked the taxi industry. Yeah, it also changed the food industry. Yes. Hospitality. Gonna, yes, the temptation of Uber Eats is very real. It's very great. Airbnb, the hotel industry. The yeah, what did we do when we travelled without Airbnb? I used to stay in hostels. Yeah, sleep <laughs> I don't know un- if people still do that. <laughs> Just in the past weeks, we've seen Facebook ban all sorts of media. There was no news on Facebook for a little while That's there. right, yeah. The other big one that I can think of is the magazine industry. So when I started my marketing career, I worked for a magazine company, 2009, 2010. And we had, I think we had 50 to 60 different magazine titles. The main magazine in our sort of leisure area, it had the magazine, we had a website, we had email marketing, and we also had a DVD. 17 issues per year, so that meant 17 DVDs per year. So fast forward, that DVD, that magazine no longer exists. A lot of those people who worked there, they now have a YouTube channel. And that entire series has morphed and changed and been disrupted by technology because no one's reading magazines really anymore. And it's all on YouTube. Okay then. So Loadshift disrupted trucking through an online platform where truck drivers go to find work and where shippers go to find a driver who can move their load. Now, in today's era where just about everything is bought and sold online, the idea sounds like a no-brainer, but 15 years ago, the concept was practically unheard of in Australia. They call themselves Australia's leading heavy haulage transport marketplace, and they specialise in moving really big things. Think bulldozers, tractors, headers, cars, caravans, livestock. As you're about to hear, Phil Callaghan is a brilliant ideas guy. His enthusiasm and ingenuity is inspiring. Phil, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for the invite. Right, so you had a pretty early start to business. Uh, Like some of our other podcast guests, you're from a family business and you got into a level of responsibility fairly early. 
tell us about um, growing up in your family and your first business experience in the family business. Uh, yeah, a, a great experience. Um, I've had uh, sort of private enterprise modelled to me by my father, obviously, uh, for, for all my life. Uh, finished uh, agricultural university, getting ready to head off in the world of Dalgettys and Elders, stock and station agency, <laughs> yeah. all, all that sort of area of, of uh, agribusiness marketing, that, that type of thing. And he bought his business partner out and uh, there was already two other of my siblings working there and, and he needed someone else to help run the office with him. And I ended up in the earth moving spare parts and used equipment industry. Okay, so your brother and your sister were working with you as well? Uh, yes, she was Ali, uh, uh, Susie, Suzanne. She was running the accounts and my brother Stuart was the, uh, uh, one of the diesel mechanics in the workshop. So sort of how old were you when you kicked off? Um, working there. Yeah, with yeah, your, yeah with so family. that was around about 97 so somewhere in the twenties, somewhere there in the in the mid twenties, I, I can safely say it was last century. <laughs> Do you think um, you know being raised in a in a family business house really kind of ingrained it into you? I think having it modelled to me, I think at the very least, I wanted to at least one day have a go of going. You know what? I started a business, I got it running, it worked, it it made a fraction more money than what it needed to to survive. Yeah. And maybe that's, a, that, that's an accomplishment that I wanted to try and experience at least once as I grew older, I suppose. So the family business had sort of five to ten staff, so you were a small business, all working hard, all pulling together. Now, a lot of businesses are born out of need. Um, you know, there's a gap in the market or a problem without a solution and, and someone enterprising comes along and fixes it. You're one of those people that plugged the gap, so to speak. Tell us the story about how Load Shift began. At, uh, at our uh, company, Hall Truck Australia, it was there at the time, uh, we bought and sold earth moving, used earth moving equipment and we had just bought a bulldozer in Bunbury, a uh, Terex bulldozer. And that's, that's WA for those who don't yeah. know where Bunbury yeah, is. Yeah, go. long way from Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> and so we spent, I suppose we spent just on and off uh, two weeks just looking around for, for trucks and pricing and availability. Uh, and after that two weeks, I gave the job to uh, a, a truck driver. And then a week later, uh, a guy rang up, a trucker rang up on the phone because many truckers know that we buy and sell on equipment. And he said, Phil, I'm on over in uh, Perth. Have you got anything for me for the, for the East Coast? And I said, oh, mate, I wish I knew about you a week ago. And just like that, it triggers off a, a thought pattern. And uh, we sort of started kicking ideas around from that point. Okay, so essentially what you stumble on is that trucks get filled somewhere and then drive to another place. So maybe they get filled at Sydney and they drive to Brisbane and then they've got to get back to Sydney again, but they're often doing half the trip empty. Yes, even the fact of just being able to uh, communicate or being able to have a visual sense of, of where trucks are around Australia in any, any sort of given time. You've got to remember this is around about 2006, so we haven't got the iPhone yet. No. Okay, this is sort of pre-smartphones. This is when um, carriers uh, are advertising themselves by putting a listing in the yellow pages under heavy carriers, and that's mm. their and that's their advertising. So that advert for a trucking company that's uh, uh, based out of Perth, in the yellow pages, it doesn't tell you that he currently has three trucks on the east coast of Australia. How do you find them? Right, it could be anywhere. Uh, how many times do we speak with cargo owners that 
they say, Phil, I was just driving down the Hume Highway the other day and I saw, I saw four trucks go past and I could have used them. So you're essentially saying that potentially 50% of the trucks were empty at any one time? Oh, I wouldn't quote that amount, but um, there is a large trucking capacity that, yes, does go unfilled. Right. And I suppose for every, I suppose like running a, a hotel, it's a vacancy rate for, for transport providers. You, you, you want to have freight on the deck of your trailer mm. and you want to be turning wheels. Um, and uh, load shift sort of brings a little bit of visibility to the trucking capacity that is out there on the streets. Okay, so right at the very start, you've got this idea, you've seen the gap, and so then you jump onto Google, as we do. T- tell me about your Google searching. I didn't really find too much. Right. I f- in Australia, I found sort of two websites. One was having a little bit of a go in palletized freight, uh, and another company down in Melbourne was trying to be all things to all people. Um, but funnily enough, I really didn't really find much beyond that. And uh, it wasn't until later on after we actually created something and launched that I realised I was using the incorrect search terms. Right. <laughs> and there were absolutely spectacular um, sites over in America uh, moving serious freight and it had actually been a long-term industry over there. Okay. Yeah. So we were just underdeveloped here. Uh, yes, and I would even say today, even till today, um, Australia is still in its digital infancy in regards to uh, marketplace transport. Okay. So then you started to work your network. You got a friend who's a magazine owner and started to run stories. And How'd that work? Yeah, well, this is interesting. So I'm a tech entrepreneur who bootstrapped his business. There's no, there's no investors. There's no rounds of funding. Uh, it's with bootstrapped it but from my wife and myself from from day one in conjunction with assistance with from friends and some industry people and so I didn't have any marketing sort of dollars sort of thing so I went to a guy who was a state rep for a certain publication that I, I knew through the industry and I ran the idea past him and I thought what do you think about this and he said not a bad idea and so I jumped on that and I said oh if I um if I do it would you publish some editorial for me and he said no problem I then went to uh, a drummer that was uh, I was playing in a band with. He was a web designer. Okay. And I said, Dave, uh, I've got this idea. What do you think? He said, no problems. He said, Phil, you know what? I'll build that for you. Uh, if it doesn't work, you don't owe me anything. If it does work, maybe you can pay me my bill. And so here we are 14 years later. <laughs> uh, I'm running Load Shift. He, he's running his boutique web design business. We're still mates. He still does uh, work here for Load Shift. And so that was 2006. It took us a while to get that going. And on around about um, the 30th, 31st of March, 2007, we, uh, <laughs> it wasn't casually flicked the switch. It was some trepidation. Yeah, yeah. We turned it on. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So um, bootstrapping is maybe a term that people are not familiar with, but it's sort of the idea of literally pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. You haven't gone and raised funds. You haven't gone, come to market with a million dollars. You've gone to the piggy bank, so to speak, <laughs> maybe got a credit card or something that simple and said, all right, uh, we're going to have a go at this from scratch. And a lot of businesses start that way. $9,300. Okay. And the, and, in, in savings? And the, yeah, $9,300 and the, the help of some beautiful friends, mm. um, some uh, successful businessmen who took the time out of their own day to have lunch with me, yep. not just one, multiple. Yep. You know, they weren't tech entrepreneurs, they were just really solid, successful businessmen 
who we uh, talked about a lot of things and uh, I really uh, thank a lot of them. Pete, if you're out there listening, uh, yeah. John, you're a great bloke, mate. And uh, <laughs> those guys and then family and friends. And i I got to say, you know, I, I go to a, a local church and, uh, you know, there is just untold resources of yeah. people sitting in that building from all walks of life. Um, who just as you're just having a chat with one another, um, sort of sort of after after church on a Sunday, and they just have a piece of gold for you, whether it's a piece of encouragement or they know someone who knows someone yeah. and can introduce you, or they can just help you, and it's uh, uh, incredible help and resource. Yeah. yeah, cool. Now you you started with a pretty tight focus, sort of one small industry, a clear target market. Tell us about your focus and your niche. Yeah, okay. Um, when I mentioned before when I went searching on the net to see who was out there doing things, I found one that was trying to be all things to all people. And I just – I think I think as a business owner, you've got to, you've got to find your tribe, okay? Yeah. You've got to find your tribe, your group of followers. And that's, that's where I sort of sat down and said, okay, we're not going to start a, a freight website that's going to move everything. We're not moving cats or dogs or – coffee tables or okay we, we need to go and move into high value freight okay okay earth moving equipment i'm from the earth moving scene okay i've got the contacts i know i know people yeah. who own earth moving equipment so i'm just combining a few sort of areas here um and so we said okay we're going to make this a heavy transport marketplace we're going to we're going to concentrate on that we're going to be uh, an important resource to the earth moving mining agricultural sectors uh, and, and really get a following in that in that area first, and, and build our tribe there before we expand out from that area. But but like all businesses, when you flick the switch and turn them on, they they don't all work. If, if, okay. if, if, the, whole so, Kev, the whole Kevin Costner thing, if you build yeah. it, they don't necessarily come. No, that's <laughs> nonsense. That whole, that whole idea. Any business person that's ever started something new will know. Yeah, don't don't uh, you know enjoy the movie, but dispense with that bit of advice. Mm. Uh, so so you've flicked the switch with yeah. great trepidation yeah. and it kind of didn't it doesn't it, it didn't, didn't work it didn't happen you know this is we're in now we're now in the year where smartphones have just been launched the first iPhone but as you can imagine and for truck drivers the average age in the middle 50s not many of them uh, are really going to be jumping on board with this new piece of technology called an iPhone right okay and so when we flicked the switch was like, it crickets or was shift, it I will honestly say that we went to cargo owners, the shippers, and we said, listen, we've got this marketplace full of truckers that want to move your freight. We, we didn't really have that. <laughs> we, went to the, we went to the carriers and we said, listen, guys, we've got all these shippers with freight um, that, you know, that you should go and move. We didn't really have that. But interestingly enough, they did turn up at the same time. Our problem was, though, for truckers, though, they weren't on smartphones, so how were they seeing these loads on our website? They were coming home after being on the road for three weeks and going through their emails and going, oh, I've got a, I've got a load shift cargo <laughs> alert from three weeks ago to yeah, move. in Townsville, I'm full, not there anymore. This full load, <laughs> oh, I might quote, well, the, the freight was gone, and so yeah, load, okay. load shift didn't work. And So the real-time uh, issue was an issue, and the... Uh, they're not exactly sitting there on their laptops. Isn't it interesting <laughs> that um, there are so many fantastic ideas out there, but they don't sort of necessarily work at first? You know, if they take a little bit of a toy. Well, or anything something. that's new generally takes a little bit of education. Like pe yeah. People just don't get it. And it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Someone yeah. brings something out new, you don't understand it because it's new. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a whole music theme here of that, that week I find myself sitting next to a, a different drummer. 
from a, from a different band and we're having the normal <laughs> chit chat of going, you know, what are you, how, how are you going? What have you been up to? Like that sort of thing. And I said, well, you know, oh, week's been okay. I launched a business. It doesn't work. And he goes, well, why don't you tell me about it? And I did. And he just said, Phil, have you thought about this? And I went home. I, I rang up my web developer, the other drummer. And I said, I said, Dave, <laughs> what do you think about this? And he said, no problems, Phil. I'll, I'll program it up tonight. And he pushed that live the next day and load shift started gaining traction. Right. Can you share what the insight was? We needed to dial back the technology. Just simplify? Simplify, dial back the technology and meet our carriers at where they're currently operating. Okay, and for us, that was the implementation of SMS alerts for the jobs. And instantly, instantly, all these truck drivers who are sitting in their office, which are the cabins of their trucks, and they've all got their... Nokia 5810 or whatever it is. <laughs> Their flip phones. Or whatever hooray. it was. Instantly, they, they then started getting job leads just popping up on their phones. And they could immediately, while they're driving, immediately contact cargo owners and work out deals. And it just instantly transformed what was going on overnight. So I've got several takeaways from what you were just talking about. Number one is I need more uh, drummer friends who are techies. That's clearly a key to business. (laughs) It's funny, a lot of musos are in uh, in tech. Apart from the jokes, it's quite true. The other thing is that it's okay to take a first step and fail. In fact, it's probably more likely to fail than succeed, that first step. And just to be ready for that... Um, and then to ask the next question. There's something really powerful about moving, isn't there? Like yeah, it's, it's a, it's, I think it's about you've got to expect to fail. And, and when you do, you need to fail fast and, and, and know where and how to pivot. Yeah, mm. pivot, word of 2020. But it's so true. I mean, if we, if we learned anything from um, the pandemic, it's, there's all sorts of opportunities out there if you're prepared to sort of ask hard questions. 100%. I think uh, in volatility, there's opportunity. So you started to match supply and demand. There's truckers out there who can supply and then there's people out there with things that they need to shift and you started to match them up. And kind of miraculously, they've sort of risen at an equal level. So yeah, That's an interesting point, equal level. Uh, we had a lot of people come to us or come to myself and sort of say, Phil, why aren't you just blowing this up and pumping this up? And one key thing we've been about is about sustainable growth. Um, we started an enterprise that is subscription-based, not commission-based. Also from the aspect of the truckers, we didn't want to be seen putting our hand in their pocket every Mm. time they did a job. And so for the same as how we built this business, we just took maybe a uh, month-by-month slow accumulation so it rose at an equal shipper and carrier freight volume uh, sustainable levels and we walked hand-in-hand together. Well, if you get that wrong, there's a whole bunch of unhappy people. Well, if you don't have enough freight, the carriers leave. Yep. And if you, have, if you have it the other way around, it doesn't work out as well. Um, for, for us, we've, we've just mainly spent our time advertising for cargo owners. We don't go looking for carriers because carriers talk amongst themselves and they go where the freight is yep. sort of thing. But while we're launching this business, um, I'm still working for my dad. I'm still running his business. He's been kind enough for me to have another computer, another phone on my desk. And so I'm, I'm helping running the family business and then running load shifts seven days a week. And what was the monetization of the business at that point? Yeah, so uh, we're selling uh, monthly subscriptions okay. to the carriers and uh, you know, we're bootstrapping it, 
the good aspect of still working for my dad, but uh, you know, working two jobs was the <laughs> fact that you know we weren't a financial strain on the business. Okay. Uh, obviously, we're still you know in the early days of smartphones, and so the slow uptake of technology is slowly ticking away. And so, of the funds that were created by Loadshift, we could just keep turning them inside the business just, just to keep help, reinvesting, just to, yeah, reinvesting to keep it growing. Yeah, and we did so probably for about four and a half years and where it brought us up to another interesting point. So what happened then? Um, about four and a half years in, seven days a week running this thing. Can only do that so long, hey? I found myself sitting next to drummer number two again. <laughs> I'm serious. I, in the same chit-chat, how you going, Phil? And I just said, I turned him and I said, Justin, I said, mate, I'm thinking I'm going to be the most successful poor guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he so said, Tell there's me a lot of users on your site, right? I tell you what, I, I mean, load, shift, load shift is being successful for shippers and carriers. And this is another interesting thing about this. There's so many great ideas on, on the internet. And to get an idea operating on the internet is an achievement in itself. But then moving from a great idea and being used and then getting it to monetize in a profitable manner that is sustainable, that's even another, another achievement. And so... Um, I, I mentioned that to him and he said, oh, have you thought about this? I said, all right. And I went back and I took that idea and uh, a couple of other ideas. One also involved the scary idea of putting my prices up. Yeah. And we combined them together. And in that, in that fifth year, load shift monetized. And, and it's incredible how it happened because around that similar sort of time, my dad decided to start transitioning to semi-retirement. And how it just worked as, as he moved into semi-retirement, I was able to step out of working in the family business and I had another business that could support my family. Yeah, right. It was, incredi- the, it was incredible. The timing was perfect. Yeah. Right, so there's a couple of key ideas. So if, you, if anyone's listening to this and looking for ways to monetize their business, what advice would you give them? Wow. <laughs> I've got to say I, w- I was scared and concerned about putting my price up. Yeah. But when one of these uh, other more senior business guys looked at it and said, Phil, look at the value you're creating. You know, um, what is the true value that um, people are recognising in your service? What are they willing to pay for it? Is it undervaluing yourself? Well, we'd initially started because we were something sort of brand new and our original pricing method was to go, you know what, let's make load shift membership for truckers like NRMA roadside assistance. Why wouldn't you have it? Okay. You'd be crazy not to have it. And so we, we went with something that was trying to be as attractive as that. Yes, we we're in our early days of trying to kickstart something. Uh, and so we went with a, quite a, a light pricing. And I was convinced, yeah, okay, let's start increasing the price. You know, we made some other tech changes. Um, you know, it just evolved there a little bit more. Uh, and also I think you could probably fairly comment, if you look at a lot of tech companies, maybe it's a little bit like this graph that we just, sorry for everyone that's listening, <laughs> I can't, I'm pointing to a graph on the wall here. Um, but I think if you look at a lot of tech companies around 2012, 2013, I think there is a, um, enough of a swell of smartphones yeah, being sold point, for yeah. five years. I think you'll see in a lot of tech companies, that's where there was a bit of a, a burst. Um, yeah. And it just happened to be, yet again, the right time again. I talk to business owners every day about their marketing and the consistent feedback is that they feel lost in the digital marketing world. Usually they've got someone to have a go at some SEO, Google ads or social media, but they often don't know what work is even being done and they can't see any results. This is where our team and I can help with our digital marketing playbook. 
Over the past 10 years, we've designed a process to help you achieve your business goals by speaking to the right people at the right time with the right message. We analyze your competitors, create the unique voice you should use in the marketplace, map out your customer's path to purchase, and then create expert search, social media, and nurture strategies to attract the right people to your business. This is all underpinned by our belief that the best digital marketing puts people first. If you need help to get your marketing on the straight and narrow, why not drop us a line at theonlineco.net. You can have a quick chat to one of our team to see how we can best support you in growing your business. So you're now a tech startup pioneer. You've disrupted an industry. Yeah. We see a lot of this, right? Uber disrupted the taxi industry, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and there was some resistance around. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can honestly say, particularly in the early days, it is a big change. Um, I, um, yeah, I, I, I got directly threatened to, to watch my back. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it, it, it disrupted the industry in such a way that um, for freight brokers, truck drivers, if they needed a load, they used to go to a freight broker. Okay. So there was and, a middleman. And, and they, yeah. They, yeah, a middleman who, who gave them the load and took a big cut out of it. And now we're sort of saying, okay, we're putting carriers directly in touch with shippers. Uh, and so that puts some, you know, that disrupted the freight broker industry. Uh, it also disrupted the larger trucking industry. They had the big contract freight coming into them and they would also then farm it out to the smaller carriers. And so we now had carriers ringing us up saying, Phil, this is incredible. I'm now getting access to jobs that only bigger companies or yep. these types of companies would get. And, you know, we sort of feel that the playing field has just been opened up a little bit wider uh, for us to get involved. Um, I've, I've had little owner drivers ring me out. One guy, Steve from Melbourne, he rang me and said, Phil, I was just renewing my subscription on load shift just then. I thought I'd give you a call. I, I want to thank you for changing my life. Wow. Um, I'm about to go down and sign this contract for 20 hours a day for a number of years with this massive company down the road. I would never have dreamed of walking in off the street and knocking on the door and saying, excuse me, could I... Um, on your freight needs <laughs> yeah. but they put a job on on load shift and i yeah. answered it and they're employing me to do their freight work now yeah so i mean that's awesome that uh the little guy can have a bit more of a fairer go in the market so then there was an event that really rocked your business tell mm. me about that um in 2016 uh we became aware right at the end of that year maybe beginning of 2017 that maybe something wasn't right at, at load shift and maybe uh, we had experienced um, maybe some external forces uh, getting involved inside of load shift for their own profitable gain. I'm speaking very subtly here everywhere. <laughs> we, we, we may have had a, a, an issue with someone taking advantage of load shift for their own um, competitive game. And um, we were, my wife and I were quite devastated when we sort of found out that, that possibly our business may have possibly been taken advantage of um, for the benefit of creating a, another marketplace somewhere else. And um, we, were, we were distraught. It represented 10 years of my life, my uh, time away from my family in building our customer base up. And uh, yeah, it was devastating. And uh, when you look back, you can see a wobble in the numbers. Uh, yeah, there was a in the um, right at the beginning of that 2017 when it, when it happened. Obviously, it was heartbreaking. Um, not as experienced in the legal world, and uh, it was one of my my first really sort of big fights. Um, yeah. And and we had to instigate that. I've got to say that 
though when things like this happen, you really do find out who your supporters are, uh, who your friends are, and, and for many of our uh, load shift shippers and carriers, they really tremendously supported us with, with information and, and, and okay, support and, and, and with what yeah. was going on. And uh, they enabled us to, uh, to take the action we needed. Um, you know, it, is, it feels confronting at the time, but the, the big thing you learn in hindsight that you sort of need to try and hold those disappointments and, and bad feelings aside and uh, just keep a, a clear, sound mind um, so you can make good decisions. Yeah. You have a real people-first or customer-first approach. Um, we always say that the best way to grow a small and medium business is to put people first. Mm. How does that work itself out in load shift? It's an interesting one there. Yeah, I, I, a couple of you, we were chuckling at the uh, at one of the signs on our boardroom here. It, it says truck under others as you have them truck under you. And, <laughs> you know, it, for us, it's a little bit what we like to be about. Um, we love being a tech company that just has so many methods of communication here for you know we've got our one three hundred number you know our chat bubbles all that sort of stuff we're not a lot of people went tech and thinking they was one of their customers dealing with a website but we want to be in touch with all our users and um, for us that means taking the load shift office on the road and I, I packed up all the guys and we flew them up to Mackay uh, January of last year and we drove the 1500 kilometers out through Claremont uh, Emerald, Rockhampton, yeah. all the way back through truck stops, arranged meetings, just saying, hey, guys, we are here, we are out on the road. For many of these truck drivers, they've got bits and pieces of technology in their cabins that they use in their day and their life. Might not have anything to do with low shift, but, you know, we've got young 20-something guys here in our office and we just want to help uh, truck drivers in their businesses to be more and more successful. And maybe that's one of our adages there. You know, we want to deliver more business into your business. That's what we say to the truckers. We want to see our truckers successful. Um, and, and so spending time with them and making ourselves available um, is, is important. And uh, For many of these guys, running a trucking game, it's a, it's a game of inches. It, it's truly difficult. You're away from your family. Um, you, you can um, work plenty of hours, you're all over Australia, you can get out outside of your normal family rhythms and life rhythms and it's a really tough game. Mm. And, and, and Australia, this is the thing about COVID, is the fact that I think Australia really realised during the COVID period how much trucking and transport is important to Australia. Um, you, you didn't see unrest in the streets because the supply chain kept going. Mm. And if you didn't have all those necessary items on the shelves and assets being delivered to create infrastructure that's where we really would have had trouble on the streets if if the truck drivers weren't able to keep going and if they didn't want to keep going if you know what i mean it's tough yeah they were the unseen um people keeping the economy alive exactly right how else did COVID impact you Uh, it's interesting like everyone else, you have this first moment of concern going, oh, is this, is this the economy about to stop? You know, the Australian government has just decided to turn off demand in the economy by shutting businesses down. Yeah. And so we started making some decisions how we could, if things went really bad, but things went the opposite way. Um, there was that much government liquidity stimulus pumped out there into the system. Australians spend $60 billion a year on overseas holidays. All of a sudden, they couldn't do that. So all this retail discretionary spending just exploded in four-wheel drives, caravans, um, boats, horse floats, uh, all this type of thing started to be bought and sold and then moved, uh, as well as the government spending money on infrastructure. So there's earth moving equipment needs to be moved. And, of course, obviously, the, um, the drought had finished just the previous year, mm. so we're in for a bumper 
harvest season. So there was agricultural uh, commodities and uh, equipment flying around all over the place. So it was a very strong, one of our strongest years ever here at Low Shift in regards to freight volumes. Yeah, um, wow. And we could see from the premiers and the prime minister having their press conferences mostly on Sunday afternoons. We could see immediate results happening on load shift going along with the announcements that they were making. So they'd be sitting there waiting, what's going to happen? Oh, we're good to go? Great. Yeah, well, as soon as they make a border closure announcement or something, you'd see people piling onto load shift uh, requesting their freight to be moved so they could get it moved before the deadline of such and such, okay. not realising or not listening to the whole press conferencing, realising... The borders are not closed to freight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe people didn't realise no. that they couldn't cross, but a, a truck you could. Yeah. Okay, and you're making a number of shifts technology-wise at the moment, but also with the identity of the business. Tell us about what's happening in load shift now and your plans for the future. Yeah, okay. So we've, we could probably uh, divide load shift up into sort of two years, and uh, that's the first maybe 10 or 12 years um, where load shift was established and grew um, to what it was, and a lot of potential built up inside of load shift. And we were approached many times to either sell or someone invest in, and, and we never went through with any of that. And so we got to a point of time where uh, I spoke with my wife, Leanne, and we said, okay, are we, are we staying in this? Are we selling? If we're staying in here, what does it look like to go again? And so we had about three trips to the States to try and answer some questions. And uh, that's where we decided, okay, we're staying and we're going to mine out the massive amount of potential that is built up inside of load shift. And we're going to sort of like go again. And so we're in the process of uh, building out a three-tiered membership level, something okay. you know, like bronze, silver, gold, yep. something like that. With a whole lot of uh, variety of new features as well that are really going to assist our truckers in, in doing even more business. Um, another area is that we're creating so much data here in load shift. Um, transport is a barometer of any economy, any country's economy. Yeah. And uh, we can really see trends happening before they get, they get announced on the 6 o'clock news on the television. Yeah. Um, and so we're looking at using that to uh, inform our truckers and um, possibly other areas of uh, business here in Australia so they can make better, faster, wiser decisions in their businesses. So what I'm hearing is that, uh, you know, in 2006 you made an innovation but you haven't kind of settled on the one innovation. You're still innovating hard all these years later. Yeah, you can't stop. I think if you do stop, I think it's the same as going backwards. Uh, eventually someone's going to overtake you. There's a saying, grow or die, isn't yeah. there? There's, yeah. there's no standing still. Yeah. There's no such thing. Yeah. Uh, so you recently had a light bulb moment about what sort of business you're in. T tell me about that process. I, th I think that was uh, surrounding about uh, deciding if we were going to stay or whether we are going to go again. And it was about the time when uh, Michael Keaton's movie The Founder came out, which was the story about the McDonald's and how mm. it came to be about. And uh, I, I found myself watching that movie over and over again. And I, I think it's a great one for any small business person um, to watch it and, and sort of put themselves into some of the questions that are in there. Because right in the middle of the movie where the guy who is... Uh, Michael Keaton plays the role of the guy who was selling the franchises for McDonald's and he's not making any money because he signed a, a poor deal. It was only, his only mistake. But he was in the bank and he was in trouble uh, with his financing. And as he walked out, someone had been overhearing him. And this guy followed him back to his office. And uh, he ended up having a look through the McDonald's guy's books. And then he closed the book at the end and he said, you just don't realise what business you're in. You're not in the business of hamburgers, you're in the business of real estate. Now, a lot of people have heard that story. Yeah. But uh, it took me a long time watching that over and over again and asking myself that question over and over again. 
to just come to the, the simple understanding that I'm not a transport business. I'm a data tech company. Yeah. And I need to, once you realise who you are, you need to start behaving and acting like that in order to, to grow and move forward and basically understand who you are. Yeah, so there's a, been a paradigm shift in your mind. 100%. Yeah, which is so, outworking itself in exactly the direction right. of the business. Yeah. And so now that we've realised that we're a, a data tech company, we've, we've brought in the sleep pods and the um, slippery dip and <laughs> no, I kid. I kid. Table tennis table. Table tennis table. Pinball no. machines. <laughs> no. But it, it, it has sharpened our focus. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So where do you imagine you're going to be in 10 years' time? Wow. 10 years for a data company or a tech company is, is, is massive. Uh, Who knows what shifts will be in there? Um, data companies are bought and sold. Uh, I, don't, I don't hide from that fact. That happens all the time. Um, I'm from a family business. So I've got three kids. Maybe yep. they want to go into the family business. Who knows what it will be. But uh, what we do know is that we like getting up on Monday morning. We like helping other business owners. Yeah. Um, and we like being able to use load shift resources to participate in other areas of life as well and, and see those areas be successful as well. That was Phil Callaghan from Loadshift, which you can find at loadshift.com.au. Jess, uh, tell me about your thoughts of Phil basically just chasing opportunity after opportunity and continuing yeah. to kind of innovate. He was persistent, wasn't he? Yeah. He was persistent. Look, I think it's important to continually look for opportunities. Like when Loadshift launched... It didn't work the way he wanted it to straight away. It right? kind of fell flat right it, at launch. It yeah. did. So he could have just, you know, said, oh, well, that didn't work. But he didn't. He continued to go back to the drawing board and look for the opportunities to make it work and find those gaps. And what he ended up finding is that there was an opportunity with SMS. Yes. It was Completely out of the box. Out of, out yeah. of the box. He, did, you know, didn't think that initially that was the way to make it work, but it did. So I think for me, like listening to Phil's story, it just really highlighted that the importance of continually and regularly looking at what opportunities exist within your industry mm. and then within your business, within your team. Yeah, and, and the best way to do that is to understand the customer. So he's talking about how a, a trucker's office is the cabin in the truck. That's, That's right. his office. That's it, yeah. yeah. You know, there's not, yeah, no point going back three weeks later and looking at your emails. No, uh, absolutely. You know? Yeah, so understanding his customer then enabled him to find different opportunities within the business and make it work. It was great. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts, James, though, on he was talking about search terms and how in his initial phase of doing research, he was actually searching for the wrong search terms. Yeah. Can you talk to me about the importance of using the right terms or looking for the right terms? Absolutely. So when somebody jumps on Google, they have something in their mind that they're looking for and we call that their intent. Yeah. Their search intent. So if they type into Google a word, behind that word is the thing they're looking for. And so in our example, we, we do Google Ads as one of our services. So if I was to optimize a page for Google Ads, hoping that people typing in Google Ads will find me and use my service, I, it's very close to being right, but it's actually wrong because people are looking for the Google Ads platform itself yeah okay all of that front page is basically filled with google now with all the best intentions in the world i'm never beating google at google yeah you probably won't (laughs) (laughs) but as soon as you add google ads service or google ads agency or you start to add some terms onto the end 
then Google starts showing a completely different right, group so it of changes results. it completely. Yeah, based on the intent. And Google learns what the intent is by continually showing different results mm. and it figures out using AI, machine learning, it figures out what people want to use mm. and then shows that to them more often. And Phil has probably made that first step of going, oh, look, I think this term works. And he was probably almost right. right. Yeah. But the intent wasn't quite right. Yeah. So with a few tweaks, after a little That's bit of research right. and a few tweaks, it was then able to get... Absolutely. And it comes back to putting people first. It does, doesn't it? Always. When you put people first and you understand how they're thinking and feeling, then you understand their intent and then you can start doing optimizations or SEO that actually works. Coming up next episode, an interview that'll help you not just in your business, but your mental health as well. I spent over an hour talking with psychologist and burnout expert, Valerie Ling, head of the Centre for Effective Living, a psychology practice in Sydney. Valerie's great passion is to help leaders of all kinds to recover from burnout, or better still, to lead a lifestyle that prevents them from getting burnt out in the first place. Our conversation had so much good stuff in it that we've had to split it into two episodes and I'm certain it's going to help a lot of people. Make sure you don't miss them. This episode of Getting to the Heart of Business was brought to you by The Online Co. Produced by Claire Bruce, music by Harry Parnwell and you can find us at theonlineco.net. We'd love you to come and join the conversation in our Facebook group. Subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review.